Welcome to Sneaker Daz Presents, where everything, I'm John Ratner. I want to thank everyone for the ongoing support and all the feedback for last week's episode with Mark, a.k.a. Air Magnos. If you missed it, go back and check it out. This week, we're returning to the Wear Everything format, where we put parenting to the side and talk to someone about their passion for sneakers and dig deep into what they love. He's been part of the local Toronto community for a long time. We have Sean, a.k.a. Uncle Sean Sneakers, on the podcast. He's got a lot to share, so let's get into it. John, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to do it. I know we talked about it for a while, but I'll jump right into it. And as we always do on this format of the podcast, I think I know the answer, but I have to ask you, do you wear everything? I try to wear everything. I would lie to you if I were to tell you that I don't. Um, I try to wear everything sparingly. Let's just put it that way, depending on age. Uh, I want to say rarity, um, materials being used and things of that nature, but I try to wear everything. Yeah. I mean, they're, the purpose of it is to be worn. So, yeah. So, well, let's get into that. Cause you talked about, um, age. Let's talk about age first. You have a good chunk of sneakers that are too old to wear at least like, let's say working out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'm 40. Um, I grew up uh, in Scarborough. My parents moved us to uh, a part of Markham where it was a bit more, um, less culturally diverse. Uh, and then my parents moved us to uh, where Pacific Mall was. It's called Milliken. And uh, long story short, uh, and there was more, it was more multicultural there, but long story short, the, uh, um, a lot of the pairs that I grew up with, uh, my parents, were immigrant family and every, every, every immigrant will tell you the a very similar story line in the sense that uh, if you were middle class, uh, you, your parents didn't really have much and they try to keep up with the Joneses and get whatever. But uh, I remember back in the eighties, uh, Jordan was coming up um, and my neighbor, I mentioned this in the, the Canada Got Soul interview, my neighbor, my cross neighbor, uh, Alvin and Patrick, they, uh, they used to run ball on their driveway. And I was that little kid just sitting on the, on the grasses watching them. And uh, I remember he, uh, Alvin had cement fours. And I, I used to idolize these guys because these guys were, they had everything. Do you know what I mean? Like they had, uh, uh, Alvin was a DJ. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he, uh, this is back in the day when there was like Hauser pants, right? Like People were shopping at Le Chateau. People were shopping at like Club Monaco and things of that nature. And um, a lot of my upbringing, I was actually fortunate in hindsight um, because Alvin, uh, he took care of me and my brother. I'm, I'm gonna get, I don't wanna get emotional, but he took care of me and my brother because uh, when my parents moved us to uh, that part of Markham where there weren't other um, this is when it was all farmland. Um, they were Filipino. And so they took care of us. And uh, Alvin helped shape my brother's sort of upbringing. And then that kind of snowballed into like my upbringing and things of that nature. So uh, he's the one who kind of exposed us to, uh, sorry, I love on young. 
um, he was the one who exposed us to uh, like hip hop um, and like hip hop culture and things of that nature. So I think the shoes that I have um, all kind of stemmed from um, hip hop. And I know that we're going to talk about that in a second, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know if that's, does, does that kind of answer the question? I'm glad you I'm glad you talked about it. I want to talk more about it. Um, I wanted to hear more about like kind of kind of what you have in uh, in the stash. I mean, I'm, you have pairs that are falling right. apart. You have pairs that are too prized to wear. Anything that's too prized to wear? Um, I mean, I do have older pairs. Uh, I've been buying a lot of pairs that I had when I was a kid. So I, I bought a pair of uh, uh, Icaruses. Um, and I bought them off, I think some guy off of eBay. Uh, he was selling them for pretty cheap. Uh, there's glue stains on them. Um, but I remember growing up and I had a pair of Icaruses. Do you know what I mean? Um, some of the shoes that I have that I wear sparingly are like, uh, I have a pair of masters. Um, I camped out for that, uh, for like 11 and a half hours outside of uh, Haven. In the snow uh it was me and this homeless guy because someone paid that homeless guy to wait outside uh but either way uh there's there's certain pairs that i do definitely do have that i i wear with caution uh some of them are a bit older uh so i have some power wall series um shoes that i adore uh just that entire series of shoes um the i guess the detail of the shoes in that era, you can't duplicate it, right? So, I mean, like, I know that Nike's tried to uh, duplicate uh, laser etching. Uh, I remember someone was telling me, or it was a few years ago, I think it was like a Jordan 4, and someone said, oh yeah, like there's a, a Jordan 4 that's like laser etched. And I went to um, the Jordan store and I picked it up and I was like, this is printed on. It's not <laughs> actually etched in there. And so I thought to myself, I was like, the quality of uh, shoes, I think the quality dropped off, like severely dropped off around, uh, I'd say like 2010, 11-ish. That's what I would say personally myself. Um, and, but yeah, I, I do definitely have pairs that are definitely uh, uh, are older. Uh, some of them I, I don't wear um, just because they may crumble. Um, I have a pair of um, Air Max 95s. Uh, it was uh, the P uh, Pimento pack. Uh, there was a 180 and there was a 95. And if you look at my one, if you look at my uh, my 95, older 95s, you know they're older when the air unit is almost exploding, like protruding out of the actual midsole. Um, but not only that, the around the air unit, um, the midsole uh, is almost exposed and it's literally crumbling. Uh, so I'll wear those maybe just to take a, take it on my foot, uh, take a picture on my foot, but there's no way that I would walk with them. I've walked with uh, pairs of, uh, uh, what are, they're uh, uh, Air Force, I don't know, I picked them up off some guy off of Kijiji in Parkdale after in the middle of a workout, actually, uh, he pulled up in a, an IROC. The guy was super weird. Um, he, I guess he didn't know what he had. And I was like, okay, I think I picked him up for like 20 bucks. 
they weren't even worn, um, but I was wearing them walking my dog. Um, I love the shoes. They're mad comfortable. And I don't wear ball shoes that often, but uh, they were really comfortable. And uh, all of a sudden the midsole uh, cracked while I was walking. Um, that's just due to age. And I think at that point in time, they were like, at least they were the retro ones. Uh, so it was like maybe 14, 15 years old. But so you don't strike me, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. as the type who lets go of things too often, do you? Or like, I mean, <laughs> so the thing is, is this I'll be the, I'll tell you the honest truth. I try to. My parents always, well, I don't want to, well, let's just put it this way. Uh, I'll get rid of what uh, I think uh, I don't need anymore, right? So I'll try to purge um, and, and things of that nature. There's certain things where I have definitely regretted purging certain things and donating certain uh, sort of things. Um, and and to your point of this podcast, like we're everything, I would I used to work at the Nike shop at Fairview and, and I got transferred at, uh, to the one at uh, town center and I used to wear shoes and I used to wear them as employee shoes and not knowing what like they were a value. You know what I mean? Like now people are like paying an arm and leg for sought after shoes that I would literally kick around in the back stock room. Yeah. Right. And so um, I wore my shoes for the sake of wearing them and there's, one bad story, but uh, I won't get in. Well, maybe I will get into it, but uh, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, uh, shoes are, are one of those things where it's a kind of a thing to be worn. Do you know what I mean? And I think if, if you, you have to appreciate, I think you appreciate the shoe a bit more if you've actually worn it. You know what I mean? You can say you were at this concert where you wore this shoe. You were here when you wore this shoe, right? Whereas it, it just kind of sitting uh, dead stock. And, I grew up also with my friends buying three pairs, right? Ice one, stock one, like everyone kind of grew up in that same sort of, um, with that same sort of mentality. Uh, I'd, I'd lie to you if I said that I, did, I never did that because um, I did do that. Um, but it came to the point where my, my, my bedroom right now, like uh, it looks like I sleep in the back of a, a footlocker. It's just nothing, and I'm a box guy too, right? So I'm not one of those people that displays their kits and nothing against that. Um, but I'm just, I've always been a box guy for, I don't know, I have no idea why, but my entire bedroom was like a stock room. So. I was going to ask, what's the stash? It's organized. It's just stacked. It's just stacked organized. The ceiling, stacked it, it's, it's, the yeah, box. it's basically to the ceiling. It's, it's, it's to the ceiling and it's kind of, it's kind of almost like Jenga. It's kind of like toppling over. So I got to kind of sometimes adjust. And uh, it, I think I saw a meme or I saw, I saw something on uh uh, I think it was a kicks on fire of someone getting a shoe from the bottom and then like quickly like pulling it out because that's I'm that guy too and sometimes I, I I discover shoes that I totally forgot about and there's shoes that I I thought I lost or I have no idea until I find them later on so I try so to that, wear what's that you got them all there and there's no storage lockers or anything there's like no storage well uh I do have a storage locker but uh and then I need to clean that out because um, after my dad died, I had to sort of figure out what to do with a lot of the stuff. But uh, I ended up, uh, I wonder what else is in there um, because, uh, um, but with the majority of my shoes are actually in my room. I try to at least wear it once. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. 
So you you took us back briefly to your childhood mm. in Markham, um, but I get the feeling that you know that was the early days, but it didn't really get serious from what I've learned on on your page till like you're about twenty or so. Is that right? Um, it kind of did, kind of didn't. I mean, like I've always been in tune with. I've always been an avid collector. Um, grew up. Uh, going to card shows. My dad used to take us to uh, Legends of the Game at King and Peter uh, before the Jays game. Um, uh, grew up collecting baseball cards and uh, things of that nature. So I've always been a collector of sorts. Um, and with regards to uh, sneakers, uh, I think my card collecting uh, kind of transcend. Well, I, I 100%, I know as a fact, transcended into me collecting shoes I want to say I actually only started to collect yeah so I say like my late 20s uh or like mid 20s uh so when I actually started to I'm not gonna throw myself under the bus but like uh around like 99 uh when I started to uh uh work at uh the Nike shop because shoes were a bit more accessible to me at that point. Uh, leading up to that, I wasn't necessarily collecting. I was more hustling for my shoes. Um, I have uh, somewhat, I don't, well, I don't wanna say a checkered past, but I mean, uh, I remember um, doing some pretty bad stuff to get shoes, you know what I mean? And uh, I know uh, growing up, uh, when you don't have money um, and you want what that next person has. Um, I remember there was kids that were getting jumped for like Raiders jackets and like Oakland A's like Jack, like starter jackets and, and shoes and things of that nature. But um, I would always find some way to like get my first pair of shoes kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, Sure. What about the love for Nike? Because you got you have a little bit of a rep, and and I think it's accurate, right? We Christian Flippin' Lace has made a joke the other day when I when I I mimicked your pose. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He does, and he said, and he said, yeah, you're not wearing Nikes. That, that's that's not Sean. Yeah, it's it's funny because like growing up, like I said, like I had everything from like Byway shoes. Um, I had everything from like Brooks to. I had a pair of black tops um, just because my parents could never afford Jordans. But uh, so I had black tops. I had uh, Delta Forces. Uh, David Robinson was one of my idols. I wrote a speech on him. Anyways, long story short, they, uh, um, my love for Nike actually started when it was in 99. Uh, when I was in high school, I knew this girl named uh, Michelle White. And uh, Michelle, she used to work at the, the Athletes World at uh, Markville Mall and she introduced me to her manager and her manager Harayer who is uh I think he's like a he works for the Jordan brand now in uh Beaverton and uh Harayer wasn't hiring at Markville so he uh, I guess passed along my resume to uh someone at Fairview um and that basically started my uh exposing me to more than just what I knew about Nike, right? Like more than just uh, the swoosh. Um, there would always be PK meetings where we would have uh, Nike reps come in. And I don't know if you saw my post on Instagram, but uh, there was a pair of uh, Tailwind 4s. And this Nike rep, his name was Mike. 
uh, he would always come in and uh, he would he would pick up uh, one of the shoes out of the shoe wall and he would literally break down um, everything about uh, how Nike was pushing the envelope with regards to their technology, right? Everything from what BRS stood for to the like their Duralon rubber to uh, uh, how light the shoe is. And so my me being kind of like a collector and collectors are some, for the most part, like history buffs of some sort, right? I mean, like they would appreciate history and things of that nature. So understanding Nike for more than just its um, physical sort of attribute as a like status symbol and things of that nature um, kind of uh, intrigued me uh, to learn a bit more. Um, and that's when I was basically um, all in. Um, I'm a very, my last name translation wise means loyal or faithful. It, it's uh, synonymous, but um, it means loyal. So like, I'm very brand loyal. I would, I'm not, and I'm, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not putting anyone down, but like I can't wear Adidas socks with like Nike shoes. Right. Or I can't wear, if I'm wearing, uh, maybe it's the OCD in me, <laughs> but um, if I'm wearing, uh, like a, a Wu-Tang shirt, I'm going to wear a Wu-Tang hat. I was always that guy that was kind of like always matchy in high school. So if I had like, uh, I remember there used to be a store in um, uh, Scarborough Town Center called Expressions and they used to sell blank caps and used to be able to personalize your cap. And uh, people used to write like, it was a Scarborough thing. I think I have no idea why, but uh, I think it was a Scarborough thing where it was back in the day when people used to airbrush on t-shirts yep. and um they, uh, um, yeah, I, I would, I would just, uh, always match my hat with like my attire because like I saw slick Rick matches everyone kind of, a lot of my, um, uh, influences came from black culture, right? A lot of my influence came from hip hop culture, which stemmed from black culture, right? And urban culture and things of that nature. Um, and so I emulated a lot of people like Run DMC and, LL Cool J and things of that nature. So uh, I always used to match my 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 uh, my gear to uh, my shoes. But yeah, going back to Nike, it's uh, uh, I was all in when it came to Nike, um, especially working in it. You're kind of in that sort of uh, environment uh, where it's nothing but you eat, breathe uh, Nike policies, right? Like everything from like. Uh, they had a particular way of folding a shirt. Um, they had a particular way of, because if a Nike rep came into our store, we had to make sure it was up to Nike standards, right? Like uh, the, the shoe that was being featured for the month was going to be at eye level and not too high, not too low. And it, it was, and that made me appreciate Nike's standard. They're not going to just display, they would be able to justify a $300 like, uh, remember when the KG2s or like the Kevin Garnett shoe at that time, back in the day, there were like $300 shoes back in the day. There were $300 shoes. Yeah. They were, they overpriced Jordan shoes. Yeah. I remember those Kevin, they looked sick, but we had to make sure that they were positioned on the shoe wall a particular way. Right. And so Nike's standard of, um, a lot of Nike sort of uh, 
standardization kind of rubbed off on me with regards to uh, what I'm expecting in quality. And I'm not going to throw Nike under the bus per se, and Nike is fully aware that their quality has gone down, right? And so I guess the, when we were uh, wearing shoes in like the early 2000s, we would see the quality then, and even shoes before then, and then look at the quality now, like there's a, there's a, there's a huge difference there, right? Um, I almost want to say that some of uh, Nike's shoes that are being released now would be considered back then as like B grades. Yeah. Did you look at quality back then? Cause I know I didn't, I, I was just, I did. Well, the, the thing is, is that I had to, right? right. So I remember there was uh, cause some guys would come in in return stuff. So I remember when the, the BB fours first came in and someone uh, came in and the pod came off and I was like, how the fuck does this guy, because back then, I remember Nike had a policy. Um, it, was, it was the craziest uh, return policy. I think it was like three months. Uh, my neighbor, uh, he, I remember he took his uh, uh, Jordan 5 green beans. Um, he got pepper sprayed by police. And then he ended up returning them. Do you know what I mean? I know people that uh, microwave their shoes just to make the air unit pop, right? So they, people, and, and, and Nike will take it back. Um, but I remember this one guy came in and he had a, a pod, uh, uh, a BB4, uh, BB4 pod in his hand, like it broke off. And I was like, so you have to inspect the shoe if it's legit or not. Cause I'd have, I remember this other guy came in and he tried to return a bootleg shoe for store credit. And the, it was so good that the box was like, it was, it was not a Nike shoe the size of a Nike shoe box. And what the guy did was he color copied uh, the shoe box and then taped it over like an Adidas box <laughs> and then try to return it at our store. But you know, when on a, on a color printer, like you can see the lines. So I was like, because <laughs> I see Nike boxes, I can, in mid air, I can see if it's a bootleg or not. And so this guy tried to return something and uh, the cashier's like, oh, Sean, can you, uh, can you look at this? And I, Right when I saw the top of the box, I was like, hmm. And then when I lift the lid up, I saw the guy like uh, tape, not tape it, but like uh, glue the inside. And I peel it back and my dude, like, <laughs> I've never even seen this colorway before. You know what I mean? So it was part of my job to sort of inspect it. Um, but the quality, even back then, because the, even the quality uh, back then, I want to say was much better. Even if you were to see, um, because back in the, I want to say eighties and nineties, what I'm realizing and noticing fucking people would glue the shoe, like a paintbrush and like stick it, go whatever. And then when you see older pairs, like that pair of Icaruses I have, they're not that bad, but I mean, um, you would see glue stains up on the mid, you know what I mean? On the, like the felt mid or on the leather mid. Right. And so, but I think near the, uh, I want to say like tail end of like the 90s early 2000s i think quality was getting a bit better i think that's why people were calling it like kind of the the golden age of sort of sneakers um but uh yeah you had to sort of inspect shoes because some of them were actual real defects and you had to kind of put a claim through and stuff like that it was kind of yeah you had to inspect them 
you have a pretty diverse collection, I think, aside from the fact that it's it's mostly one brand or all one brand. Do you have favorites or can you pick favorite models? Um, I mean, like I like I like a lot of uh, obviously I like a lot of Air Maxes. Um, so like Air Max ones, nineties. Uh, um, I started to sort of venture off into like uh, I think I have like I only have like one pair of ninety threes. 95s um aside from air maxes though um i fell in love with neoprene uh, when it came to harachis so uh i think uh that neoprene sort of booty anything that kind of emulates that so like the 180 uh the 93s um and anything kind of with that neoprene kind of thing is uh, uh the most comfortable for me uh, they're a bit snug um but it's also one of those shoes that's a very versatile shoe um, maybe not for playing basketball per se. I mean, there's Hirachi like basketball shoes, but I mean, um, I'm more of a runner's kind of guy. So I think my favorite models would probably be, I'm looking at my structures right now. Um, so yeah, structures, um, anything with, a, an air unit I, I like. i lately, um, I've been collecting kind of, I don't want to call them oddities, but I mean, like, uh, I've been getting into more like older vintage sort of, uh, Nike stuff um that and there's a particular reason why i, I kind of want to say uh so if you look at uh, some of my older posts like some of them are older like acg pairs or uh, some of them are pairs that don't have a visible air unit um and that's only because i've been realizing as i wear a lot of my pairs um anything that has a large air unit like a 95 or a 97 and they're great models don't get me wrong they don't last like they don't last you know what i mean um that midsole uh i think the majority of them are like polyurethane but like that midsole is not going to last uh like time right like there's a reason why jordan ones and dunks and everything like that uh, where they have a stitched midsole they last that long do you know what i mean um so i've been trying to stay away from uh lately i've been trying to stay away from uh uh, pairs that have larger air units but i mean like i guess my favorite model would probably be like an air max one only because like i had a pair of air max ones do you know what i mean so so are these pairs like older pairs or are you are you you digging for some older stuff and and still buying new stuff or not as much new stuff i've been trying i've been trying to buy more you know what i'm on and i've always been doing this like it's all about the hunt for me um so not what's on everyone else's radar. Um, so I recently acquired, and I'm, I'm gonna get them on Monday, hopefully, uh, a pair of uh, Dave White um, size collaboration 90s. And so like back in the day, I know I was watching your, uh, or listening to the podcast with you and um, Alex. Yep. And uh, uh, he was saying something like, uh, he grew up in Western Ontario, and so he wasn't necessarily part of the whole, uh, let's not call it clique, but like he wasn't able to go to Goodfoot as easily as the rest of us, right? And so, um, uh, and so he relied a lot online and Nike talk and things of like those kind of forums and platforms and things of that nature. And so um, I was kind of a mix of both. Like I was able to go to uh, livestock, sorry, uh, to uh, Goodfoot um i was friends with 
uh, hung on that open stolen riches and he was part of the zone and stuff like that. So I was fortunate enough, but I mean, a lot of the stuff that, uh, like the Dave White collab, um, if you weren't in the UK and you liked Air Maxes, good luck getting them. Do you know what I mean? Or like uh, when those Opium 80, uh, 180s came out, one of my favorite pairs of shoes, beautiful. I look at them like artwork, um, but I'm not in France, right? I'm not in Paris. I'm not going to be able to attain those. And the only way that I can attain it is if I go to Goodfoot and not to throw anyone under the bus and people will attest to this back in the day. Um, if you were to go to certain stores, it's not only Goodfoot, but like certain sort of boutique stores, um, their, uh, their noses were somewhat up in the air. Do you know what I mean? And um, there, it was a very niche sort of subculture where they want to keep it as pure as possible. And so a lot of people that may have lined up or may have um, wanted a pair really badly, they may have just started into the game. They may have uh, just really uh, liked them when they came across it uh, on the internet. Um, they would get denied the shoe. Do you know what I mean? And so like, it's not like how it is now. Like I'd say a good 80% of the kids uh, that are somewhat getting into the collecting game that kind of are um, self-proclaimed like sneakerheads or whatever the case is. Um, if they were to have shopped in Supreme was like that, do you know what I mean? Um, a lot of stores were like that. Um, and it's funny because they wouldn't, back then they probably wouldn't have gotten served. Right. And so, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a weird sort of, uh, dynamic now, I guess, but. Well, we could talk about it now that you brought it up because, you know, it's funny that you, you bring up, they wouldn't have got served, but they didn't exist. That, that person didn't exist. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was people who knew sneakers and then there was everyone else. Right. It right. Wasn't like there was like a wannabe sneaker head. I mean, I don't and think so the thing was, is it, so the way that I actually got into it, uh, was actually when I was working at Nike shop, uh, and I was, you know, you know, hung, I was literally just talking to hung this morning or this afternoon. Uh, and we we're kind of reminiscing because that's, I guess what old people do now, but, uh, um, I, uh, I was talking to hung and, uh, I remember working at, um, the Nike store and, uh, or the Nike shop and there would be guys that would come in with Japanese magazines, like Japanese shoe magazines. And just like how we would circle uh, what we wanted on the consumer distributing catalog, these guys would come in and be like, are you gonna get this? Are you gonna get this? Are you gonna get this? And Nike was so strict back in the day, you could not have anyone in the store with a phone, like when phone, I mean, when, uh, or, or with a camera. Now, this is before uh, camera, cameras were on phones. Um, you could not bring, this is back in the day when there was launch stickers. So you couldn't bring a shoe onto the shoe, onto the actual floor, uh, store floor. Um, if it was before the shoe uh, launch date, but these guys would come in um, and they came in with like uh, these magazines and they would show me everything from like uh, Wovens to Riffs to Kukunis, uh, the whole Alpha uh, project sort of 
uh, catalog and they would say, are you getting this? Are you getting this? And we would just have guys just come in and literally they were customers, but people would think they worked there because they spent so much time. It was almost like going to a record store, almost the exact same thing. You can, you can immerse yourself in this sort of store, chop it up with like-minded people. And those people rubbed off on me. Do you know what I mean? And I, they, they're the, I'm not going to lie. They're the ones who got me into the whole sneaker thing. Do you know what I mean? And uh, one of my good friends, Dalton, uh, Dalton was an avid collector. Dalton, I interviewed him in for my docu thesis because he had such a, uh, uh, he had so many pairs and he was an act, he was a collector from like way back when, and I never understood it. And then being around him and being around all these people after a while, kind of, you're a product of your environment. Right. And, and, and that kind of rubbed off on me and that's how it kind of catapulted me into like buying and appreciating a bit more of the sneaker. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, um, I guess that in addition to being taught, uh, this is just not an ordinary sneaker. This is like, not the, everyone thought that wearing Air Jordans was gonna make you jump higher, but like uh, when those Nike reps used to come in and teach us about the technology, like that just made me love it even more. So, um, but yeah. You talked. You just mentioned your docu thesis, and I wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sneaker Filiac, That was from uh, 07, right? Yeah, it was like around 06, 07. It was uh, York shorted me uh, one credit when I applied for convocation. Um, they shorted me one credit, and uh, I uh, applied for uh, graduation, and they denied me. They're like, you have to come back next year for one credit. I'm like, there's no way I'm coming back for one year. I'm like, what can I do to like, just graduate with the rest of my class? And they're like, well, uh, we can retroactively enroll you into a, a thesis course. And this is, uh, I maybe had uh, less than two months before graduation. And I had a teaching opportunity in Korea uh, where they want to actually see the actual um, diploma uh, or degree. And so uh, I was like, okay, well, like, what am I going to do? I'm like, okay, like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta jump with the action here. So I, uh, I went to one of my profs, uh, and she was also a prof at U of T. Uh, and I asked her, I was like, listen, like, uh, I'm kind of in a jam. You need to help me here. And I came up with this ingenious idea. I was like, this is right after, uh, it was either right after in and around the same time as, uh, I'm looking at the just for kicks. Yep. Right. Um, and, uh, the just for kicks documentary was either coming, it was in and around the same time frame. Anyways, uh, my, my prof's like, okay, uh, what do you want to do? I'm like, okay, well, I want to do it on sneakers. And she's like, well, you have to relate it to, uh, and have like some sort of, uh, groundwork and have to kind of relate it to like, I was a communications major. She was like, yeah, I got to relate it to this. And like, you have to kind of dissect it and things of that. Uh, and have uh, somewhat uh, theory involved in things of that nature. So I was like, okay, sneakers. Um, me and my friends are like kind of like heavy in the game right now. Um, and so I want to talk about uh, sneaker addiction in Toronto and like how it is in Toronto in comparison to everywhere else in the world, right? I mean, I think Toronto was kind of left in the shadow of uh, bigger cities like New York, Chicago, LA, um, Paris things like that, right? Hong Kong, Japan, Tokyo, things like that. So um, 
I wanted to shed light on Toronto scene. And so uh, she was like, okay, great. Here's my camera. Uh, this is back in the day when um, night vision was literally just, uh, she just got a new camera that had night vision. Uh, and I, I just went, I started to book up uh, all these interviews to people that I knew. Uh, so I booked Hung who had uh, stolen riches, uh, but I interviewed him at the zone at the uh, queen in Augusta. And then uh, I interviewed uh, Capsule, the original owner of Capsule had a store. His name was Paul. He had a store at uh, First Markham Place. It was like a very small, small, small store um, before he moved to Yorkville. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the original people of Capsule are not the original people of Capsule. It started with Paul. Um, and he was the one who moved it over to uh, Yorkville. And then next to them was like Northern Trooper um, and things of that nature. But anyways, um, the documentary, uh, I just filmed as many, uh, I try to capture Toronto in its like holist form or in its like sort of entirety. So uh, I went to uh, people camping outside Right. And so I interviewed people that were camping outside. I forget what they're, oh, they're camping out for uh, P rods, uh, Cinco de Mayo's. Um, so there was people uh, camping out uh, for Cinco de Mayo's. I remember uh, interviewing uh, some of the people and uh, I asked them, I was like, uh, I, for I forgot the question I asked, but they were like, I would rather have these shoes than eat or to pay rent or to like whatever. Um, and so they were telling me their story and things of that nature. Um, and they were out on a good foot. Uh, but I also filmed, uh, when me and my, uh, me and Dalton used to make trips to Detroit. And, uh, I remember, uh, we bought, uh, so many pairs of shoes, uh, when we were in Detroit. Um, when we got to the border, they basically, uh, came out in dollies. We had so many pairs of shoes that we couldn't like, we were crossing the border, like, like I dream a genie. So like there's shoes in the trunk that the trunk couldn't close. And we had to put shoes on our laps and uh, they came out with dollies. They're like, okay, like we got to pay taxes on every single one of these, but uh, cause we weren't going to hide it. Um, they actually knew who we were going into the States. Um, so they knew what we we're doing, but uh, we always um, uh, made our money back or it was, it was definitely worth it. Um, but, uh, I captured all that and they actually took my professor's camera apart. So when I got back into the car, her camera was in pieces and I was freaking out cause it wasn't my, uh, my thing. Long story short, they, uh, I, uh, I interviewed a lot of people. Uh, there was a much music VJ named, uh, Matt Babel. I interviewed him in the back stocking of, uh, a good foot, um, with regards to his sort of take on the game at that particular time. I think he was heavy into um, ACG uh, Balteros, um, and uh, but uh, it was it was funny because we saw what um, the sneaker game was back then. Um, could you have called them hype beasts of that particular era? Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, but everyone had the same level of respect. Um, whereas I think now it's a bit more, um, somewhere down the line, I think lines are getting blurred or, or whatever the case is. Um, but I interviewed a lot of people. Uh, there was this one guy, uh, his name was Tim, but, uh, me and my buddy called him Tim, the shoe booster. And, uh, 
this guy would tell me all the time. He's like, yeah, I would, I would boost shoes. That's all he did was boost shoes. There were people that would walk into a shoe store. I see it all the time. I've chased down people at Scarborough Town Center myself uh, where uh, they would come in with a big pair of shoes and then run out, right? Or uh, someone would pick up the left shoe at our store and then go to Foot Locker and then pick up the right shoe there and then they got a brand new pair, right? And so um, uh, I captured all that basically in my documentary. Um, and uh, the cameraman on my shoot was uh, at, this was back when, uh, uh, what was that Tom Hanks movie? Uh, uh, it's that three hour movie, it's Devil's, not Devil's Advocate. Um, it's gonna come to me. It's it was a long movie with Tom Hanks. Um, Not a war one. No, it was like it was a oh, it was it had to do something with like religion, devils. Oh, it's gonna annoy me now. It's called. Uh, uh, anyways, it's gonna come to me. It's uh, um, I was in the middle of this uh, movie. It was a three-hour movie. It was a really long movie. And uh, the cameraman on my shoot uh, text messages me. He's like, yo, like you need to come to my house. Like, and the movie ended at like one o'clock. And um, he, uh, uh, he was like, I have to tell you something. I was like, what? He's like, okay, I was at my uh, niece's christening and uh, he was watching the Phoenix game you know, with a bunch of uh, other people he never even knew. Uh, and uh, one of those guys, oh, I guess it was during halftime, he started to show um like still photos of me interviewing Dalton me interviewing Matt Babel me interviewing whoever um and uh one of those random guys was the president of Nike Canada his name was Eric Ages yeah and Eric um passed his uh business card to my buddy uh, and he said I want to talk to your buddy and tell him to call me and we're going to set something up and uh so one o'clock in the morning, I go to my buddy Jay's house, who's the cameraman. And uh, he's telling me this story. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, man. He's like, no, dude, like, and then he gives me the guy's business card. And it says like president of Nike Canada, Eric Ages. And I'm like, I'm like, I just wanted to graduate. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't, I don't need notoriety. I just wanted to graduate with everyone else. That's all I wanted. And I was scared because a lot of, uh, the footage that I use, in addition to all the interviews, um, I was using um, a lot of Nike commercials, right? A lot of Jordan commercials, a lot of uh, Mars Black Moon commercials. Um, I don't know if there was a Penny Hardaway or a little penny in there, but I mean, there was a lot of, uh, uh, I, I think I used a 50 cent, uh, long story short, there was a lot of trademarked registered things that I never had the actual um, permission to use. Um, and so um, I was kind of worried. So I asked my professor and my professor uh, told me that uh, it was okay because it was uh, under the educational law or something like that. Uh, I'm okay. But uh, and it ended up uh, snowballing into a, uh, a presentation. Uh, they wanted to see exactly what uh, I was doing. And when I showed them uh, what I was doing, Eric looks to, and it wasn't only Eric, it, there was this guy named uh, Mike Arsenal. Uh, there, I, I, uh, I, think, uh, I think Charles Yearwood, I think Charles is still there. I think they call him Chuck, but uh, they, uh, 
it was a, a board meeting. So it was just not only the president, it was like a whole screening for the entire like executive board. <laughs> and here's everyone putting like their, their uh, business cards on the table. And here I am like ripping up a corner of my piece of paper, like Hillroy piece of paper. I'm like, here's my York email address. I'm like, here's mine. Like I'm not anyone like fancy schmancy. Um, but anyways, when I, sh I showed them what we were doing and what I was doing, and I told him it was just a school project. He looked, Eric looked at the rest of the guys and was like, why are these guys driving six hours to Detroit waiting all night in the snow to pick up shoes and to, to bring them back here? Why are they, why are these kids doing this? Because back then, and it wasn't only until recent that Nike Canada has kind of caught on because Nike Canada we've always been in the shadow of uh, for many, 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 many years. And so I think a lot of the older generation of that executive board, they weren't able to answer to him. Nike, Nike asked for my documentary after to show in their uh, marketing meetings because they didn't have an idea of why we were doing all this. And when I was explaining to them why we were doing this, uh, what it was um, that it's not only a thing in Toronto, the kids in, in Japan are doing it, people over here are doing it. It's a subculture, it was a very niche culture that no one understood. But to these older gentlemen, and no disrespect to them, they were like, what's going on here, right? Um, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but a lot of the people there weren't able to answer his question, yeah. right? And so a lot of Nike Canada a lot of people would, 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 would probably talk down uh, or talk bad about Nike Canada because it, we were so far behind everyone else, right? Um, we would have to go to Walden Galleria. We would have to go to Northland. We would have to go to different malls in the States just to obtain a pair of shoes um, that were attainable here. The only thing that we got here were... I want to say you're what we would consider GRs now. Um, we would get some exclusive stuff, but the only one store that people can get stuff was uh, at was uh, Goodfoot. And Goodfoot, Matt was smart. He monopolized all of Canada, right? He had a footing in every single city. And he was a purveyor of a very exclusive contract. He was the only person that can pick up, that can sell Supreme back in the day. He was the only person that was able to get certain, he, he sold the Powerball series. He had exclusive rights to exclusive tier zero product that no one else in the entire country, doesn't matter if you're in Vancouver, Montreal, Edmonton, Ottawa, whatever the case is, he had a one-up on everyone that no one else had. And so while every other store, including my store, would get uh, your GRs, some of them were very good exclusive GRs, but we would never get a tier zero account. And so Nike never understood that. And I, I, I always question that because there's someone at Nike, I'm not going to, well, there's someone at Nike 
that would reserve things, right? I don't know if I should be saying this because I, but whatever, it's uh, someone was looking out for someone because the rest of Canada never got anything. Um, and that's how Goodfoot became Goodfoot. And I think um, the reason why Goodfoot did so well was because they sold exclusive products. The reason why they wanted to keep the culture pure, um, and they're not gonna blatantly say this, but I mean, was because the product that they were given and granted was meant to be for the purest skater. You know what I mean? For the real hip hop head, for the real Air Max head, for the real Nike head, right? Um, they didn't want to see um, uh, uh, your average middle-class uh, individual doing deadlifts at the gym, rocking uh, a pair of shoes that only 200 were made, right? And so they had to keep that exclusivity because they were given that exclusivity sort of uh, right to sell that particular product. But I remember, man, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those things that kind of boggled these older gentlemen's minds when I was showing them my documentary because they didn't understand it. They never understood why kids were traveling and, and waiting outside of the lines and things of that nature, which kind of boggled me because you needed an account with Nike to get a tier zero account. And so it was, uh, it was maybe someone didn't tell these older gentlemen like that someone at in their own organization was kind of putting stuff aside, but um, these older gentlemen never understood like what was going on. And they found it very interesting what I was doing back then. Um, but like I said, I just, it was one of those things I kind of snowballed. And then Adidas uh, messaged me because they were wondering why I was only exclusively uh, focusing on Nike. Um, and that was only because uh, I grew up selling Nike products, so. So they heard about it too? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a weird thing because uh, it snowballed into something. And it, it, uh, my professor, uh, obviously I passed and I got an A and she was like, uh, she ended up using it in her um, like courses or uh, something like that. I, it, it snowballed into something that was, um, far more than what I uh, anticipated. I just wanted my credit and graduate and it went into something totally different. You know, you talked about, you know, it was only 15 years ago or so. And mm -hmm. obviously, you know, sneakers are anything but underground now, but that's 2007. That's after Michael Jordan's career. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was retired. Yeah, by yeah, yeah, definitely. And after, you know, after the, the first wave of people lining up for shoes, you know, that maybe people heard about in New York. And, but it's so, was it because it was Canadian? It was in Canada that they were, they were new to it or was it, was it still think, underground? You know, what's funny is that like, I was questioning myself too. Cause I would think like, um, the American counterparts would communicate with the Canadian counterparts and they would communicate. Like I thought it was going to kind of be like a G20 kind of, summit meeting where everyone from different sort of uh, countries uh, was sort of uh, aligned in that sort of sense. And um, they, I don't know uh, if they understood that the craze 
because I remember when uh, the pigeons dropped in New York, uh, and I heard about it over here. Uh, I remember when Cool Gray Elevens dropped in Detroit, and some guy came in with like shot uh, with a shotgun, asking like, "Get me a size." Like everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's not gonna butt the line," and then the guy pulls out a shotgun. I was hearing all kinds of crazy shit, but I don't know if um, the people in Toronto, the higher ups that were making the executive decisions. We're thinking like, okay, this is going to work here. Because I remember I had an idea. Uh, I'm not going to, because anyways, I passed it by Hung. Uh, and it had to do with uh, Nike ID. Uh, and Nike ID, for the longest time, longest, longest time, was never available here. I always wondered why. Because the Nike ID program was available in Europe. It was available in Asia. It was available later on in the US. But why not Canada? Do you know what I mean? And then years and years and years and years and years later, even with the same thing with sneakers, the sneakers app. And never it, we were the last. But why? Is it because they were kind of piloting the project everywhere else to see if it was going to work there? But I never understood why they never uh, why we always have to like kind of uh, follow the lead. Do you know what I mean? Like, why don't we start something over here, right? And I mean, um, I just I just never understood it. And they weren't able to give me an answer either, to be entirely honest. And I, I don't expect them to give me the answer. People like Charles Yearwood, who was the brand rep that would like give certain celebrities their shoes and stuff like that. Like he was in tune with us. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and he would report up to his higher ups and, and things of that nature. Um, and uh, maybe they thought that the Canadian market was a bit too small, that it wasn't as lucrative as, uh, uh, and it was too niche of a market to uh, sort of uh, open the floodgates here and kind of, uh, kind of test it with the Canadian market. Because a lot of people, I remember growing up and I used to, when I used to come home with a new pair of shoes every other like, like when I got paid, my friends were like, yo, like how many pairs are you, like, what are you going to do with all these? I'm like, I don't know. Like these were like 50% off employee shoes. So like, I may as well just have them, you know what I mean? And so like, I like that. You know, I see some parallels and I, you talked a little bit about hip hop and, uh, you know, music. And I see some parallels. I know coming up in, you know, junior high and high school and, you know, knowing, you know, people would hear, you know, Black Sheep or MC Hammer at the school dance, but it wasn't really, people, most people at least didn't know beyond that, unless you had an older brother or a cousin who lived in the States or the right. same thing as, as sneakers or, or, or were in tune for somehow and kind of knew about the culture. It was still foreign. It was still kind of like, what, what is that? What is he saying? Like, yeah wow like that language i've never heard or or something like that at least you know i grew up in north york which was basically a suburb right back then and uh you know i got exposed to it but uh a lot of my friends heard it from me right right do you think, so I think learners? yeah so i mean like when it came to hip-hop music i mean my brother was a dj um uh my good friend growing up uh became a very uh, renowned DJ. Uh, and, uh, but a lot of our uh, upbringing and styling. Uh, I remember going home, um, my, 
before before Fresh Prince, um, I idolized um, what was that guy's name? I was talking about him the other day. Uh, was it not Different Strokes? It was um, you know with Rob. Fuck, what was that? TV show. Uh, what's that? A TV show. Yeah, like it. Like I grew up like with regards to eighties TV shows. Like uh, uh, I used to love uh, what's it called. Um, uh, Cosby show and uh, uh, like a different world uh, like anything I want to say basically that Quincy Jones kind of produced um, when it came to like uh, movies like uh, White Man Can't Jump um, New Jack City uh, my dad wasn't also an avid sort of VHS or like movie collector um, and things of that nature so I was exposed to a lot of uh, classics but uh, a lot of me and my brother we would watch uh, uh, Michael Rappaport, um, his first movie. I, I, I think his first movie, uh, or first time I've ever heard of him. Uh, he was in this movie called uh, Zebrahead, and it was filmed in um, Detroit, Michigan. And he was kind of uh, a white kid in an urban area, um, and he was kind of uh, kind of uh, ostracized, I guess, uh, by the black community, from what I remember. But um, so a lot of the movies uh, that I or in a lot of the TV shows that I, I grew up watching uh, was of urban culture. Uh, it was uh, a very, I want to say in thing, but I think being Asian and not having an Asian Cosby show um, or an Asian different world, um, it was the closest thing that I could relate to, right? And I mean, growing up in Scarborough, and it sounds really naive, but growing up in Scarborough where it's so multicultural, I never knew my friend Jermaine was black because Jermaine was just Jermaine. He had curly hair. You know what I mean? When you're a kid, you're very kind of blinded by or jaded by like race and how people smelt and like what kind of culture of food they ate and things of that nature. They were just, they were your friends and that's how you looked at it. You looked at it at face value. Right. And so, um, hip hop, um, because it stemmed, uh, because, uh, it, it, it's rooted in jazz and black culture and urban culture and things of that nature. Um, and a lot of the music that I grew up uh, listening to was a lot of hip hop, a lot of house music, like a lot of Chicago house music um, was very influential in the way that I dressed, uh, what I saw in magazines um, and what I was seeing in the media. Um, and I think a lot of it was not only the way that I dressed, but the way that I had my outlook in sort of society, right? Uh, I remember getting uh, a public enemy tape uh, and public enemy is very um, uh, political, right? Uh, um, and they would have a very political message and things of that nature. And I remember uh, uh, someone giving me uh, an X, I, I actually dubbed uh, someone's uh, X-Clan tape. Um, and they were very political as well, just like African Bambada and like all those other. So, I mean, hip hop's uh, message um, was very political back then. But not only that, like a lot of uh, their message was of what they wore. Do you know what I mean? They would wear um, and when I mean they, I'm talking like, uh, like actors, MCs and things of that nature, they would have, uh, 
they would wear things of statement that meant something. Um, and so I remember uh, there was a brand uh, and they're still around, a uh, good Toronto brand. Uh, they had a shop in uh, New York. Uh, it's two black guys. And uh, Mary J. Blige's uh, Real Love video came out and she was wearing a two black guys jersey in the beginning. Actually, throughout the entire video, she's wearing a two black guys jersey. Um, there was a, a hip hop group called uh, Rumpelstiltskins. Rumpelstiltskins. They were wearing a two black guys uh, things. Uh, leaders of a new school. And so um, uh, even um, Hundred Miles, uh, Tupac was wearing Hundred Miles in uh, Above the Rim. If you had a uh, a brand like Polo. Or if you had a brand like um, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, or Nautica, or something a bit more conservative, uh, conservative like Helly Hansen, or um, uh, anyone like that. I mean, like where the brand wasn't necessarily being portrayed uh, in the same sort of light as its ads, right? So Polo, very clean cut, uh, preppy, yuppie looking individuals was now being um, worn by someone that's not at the country club, right? Um, and uh, a lot of people would say like Kanye kind of broke that mold. I would highly, I wouldn't say that much, but I mean like I was wearing polo. I was wearing, um, is it called Salinger? Um, the one with the tiger um, and like, uh, Lacoste, like growing up, and I used to hate it. Uh, my parents used to um, uh, dress me and my brother up because we kind of somewhat look alike, um, but uh, um, in preppy clothing. But like a lot of hip hop was a game changer. And when you have um, uh, hip hop artists starting to wear things that weren't necessarily marketed to that particular demographic, um, it kind of starts to rub off on you, right? And so um, a lot of people started to wear, um, like Carhartt. Carhartt's a Detroit brand uh, workwear. Do you know what I mean? I saw um, um, Eric Sermon wear it in um, in the, the Who's the Man uh, movie um, with Ed Lover and uh, uh, um, Ed Lover and uh, Dr. Dre. Um, and And it was movies like that and it was, I guess hip hop has always had a huge influence in uh, my upbringing, everything from what I wear to what I listen to, to, to what I still listen to, um, to even the way that I think and uh, down to my fashion and, and, and the, the shoes that I, I love going back to shoes here. Um, but um, a lot of the shoes that I would see in a lot of the ads in the Source magazine or what I would see Theo wear or what I would see um, you would want a pair of those. And a lot of those, oh, if you look at any of those TV shows, aside from Fresh Prince, very few individuals are wearing Air Jordans. Because like, like Will Smith in Fresh Prince um, was, uh, I think, I want to say it was like, maybe like 90, 90, uh, 90, I want to say like what, like 93, 94, like when the first Fresh, Fresh Prince came out? It was later uh, than those. 
It was later. Yeah. Yeah. Later. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was probably later than that, right? And but I mean, like. No, no, later I, than the other shows. Yeah. Yeah, but even before Fresh Prince, so like your Cosby Show and your the your uh, your your different world, uh, your Family Tie, your uh, things like that, like um, or there's Michael J. Fox. There's like. Um, and Tony Danza was rocking Air Maxes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is that with regards to Air Maxes were not as expensive. They were expensive. Don't get me wrong. They were expensive, right? They were still like a hundred bucks back then or like 79, 89 bucks back then, which was relatively expensive for a shoe. But Air Jordans were in the over the hundred dollar mark, right? Like maybe like 120 and things of that nature. But like, you never saw Theo in a pair of Air Jordans. Right. You never saw Tony Danza in a pair of Air Jordans. You may saw Tony Danza or maybe Seinfeld in a pair of Air Maxes or uh, Delta Forces or uh, something of that nature. But I mean, Jordan, even the Jordan one, it's, it's funny. You know what's funny is that I find it funny that the Jordan one model and maybe it's just because I never owned a pair, but it never picked up, uh, it never got traction until the fours came out, until the fours, five, sixes came out, right? Because um, that was my generation. I wasn't around, well, I was around when the ones and the twos came out, but I mean, um, they weren't, people were lining up for them. Do you know what I mean? Or like there was a lot of hype around it, right? Yeah. Uh, but when the fours, fives, sixes came out and things of that nature, um, and maybe that was because of the way that Jordan was playing, maybe back then. I have no idea, but um, they weren't as popular, right? Um, but a lot of uh, what I shaped my sort of, or kind of emulated um, was um, based on what I saw in like rap covers. You know what I mean? In, in rap videos. Um, I remember um, Black Moon's uh, Who Got the Prop video. Uh, I bought a, a toque with a pom-pom because I saw, uh, uh, what's it called? In a, a red Jansen red backpack um, because I saw Buckshot wear one. Do you know what I mean? And um, I remember Crooklyn Dodgers. Uh, there's a, a boot company called P-A-L-L-D-I-U-M. Uh, it's a UK brand or uh, I, I can't remember the, the, the name of the brand, but uh, Guess had a very, because um, Guess jeans was back uh, big back then. Uh, and I remember Buckshot wearing on the cover of the Crooklyn Dodgers uh, LP or the, the cover. Uh, he was wearing those, uh, those uh, Guess uh, boots. Um, but like a lot of uh, people's images uh, back then was uh, shaped by, uh, by hip hop culture for sure. I always found it funny though, because like Jordan ones. Now you'll see you'll see a lot of people wearing Jordan ones. You know what I mean? Like decades later, in like rap videos. Um, but I mean, I was watching a large professor. Um, I was watching a main source video, uh, and large professor was wearing uh, uh, some sort of Air Forces. I forget what they're called, but uh, but they weren't Jordan ones. Do you know what I mean? They weren't even Jordans. There was more things than just Jordan. And Jordan only started to pick up traction, like serious, serious traction, right when the, uh, Will Smith started to wear those shoes. I, 
I want to say if Will Smith is not getting any sort of royalty out of that for, cause Jordan catapulted Nike. Let's be honest. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I give it up to Tinker. I give it up to Bill Bowerman. I give it up to Phil, um, and things of that nature, but Jordan catapulted Nike, just like run DMC catapulted Adidas. But I kind of almost want to say Will Smith also had a huge, like, uh, uh, he also catapulted the Jordan brand to something a bit more um, cooler, I guess, to the, to the kids of that uh, particular uh, 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 year and uh, generation. But um, yeah, I hope Will's making some sort of royalty off of that because he should be. Well, he's rich enough. I mean. And, and everyone watched Fresh Prince, everyone from every demographic. It was, yeah. it, it was exposure to everyone. And, and, you know, we talk more about hip hop than sneakers. So I know we could do a whole podcast on just our, you know, even our experiences. It sounds like we had a shared, you know, a lot of shared experiences, um, particularly because of the era we grew up, but also having, you know, older friends or brothers who were DJs and things like that. But um, mm -hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about what's been going on now because I saw you uh, working out outside. I wonder how, how uh, things are going uh, for you in, you know, we're still hopefully coming out of this pandemic. What have you been uh, sort of been doing, doing to keep yourself busy? Yeah, I've uh, literally just been working. Uh, I've been uh, working out at home is much different than working out at a gym. Uh, I'm an avid sort of, uh, I used to go sometimes twice a day, seven days a week, uh, once before work, once after work. Uh, but when you kind of scale back um, and start only working out at home and things of that nature, uh, I need some sort of variation. So I've been uh, uh, looking like the crazy guy working out in the back alleyway, lifting like uh, cinder blocks. And and uh, uh, I just started incorporating uh, skipping. That's a good way of uh, bringing your heart rate up there. Uh, but yeah, no. During the pandemic, I just kind of haven't been really uh, buying too, too much. It's kind of a, a weird sort of uh, state that I'm in because uh, I'm trying to keep uh, mentally sane and grounded. Um, but by the same time, I'm trying to keep myself healthy um, and just trying to maintain. I think maintaining is the, the hardest part of life um, just because uh, you may be able to achieve something, but maintaining that sort of achievement is something totally different, right? So um, working out, uh, trying to get as much sun, um, getting some fresh air um, at a kind of six feet apart kind of distance. And hopefully we get uh, out of this sort of pandemic soon. And um, I'm looking forward, I think you're looking forward to it as well, to uh, uh, a lot of stores opening up. Uh, Size just came to Toronto, uh, so they should be opening up shortly. And um, it's, yeah, we, I think we all kind of need some sort of normalcy and, um, anything that's gonna kind of keep me kind of grounded, if that means, uh, uh, biking a lot, I volunteer a lot. Uh, so I always bike to, uh, Young Street Mission there. Um, and I volunteer my time there. So, uh, that keeps me a bit more engaged with the community, um, in the sense of just sort of, um, giving back. Cause if you think it's hard for people uh, that um, are employed um, 
it's harder on individuals that are um, kind of either find themselves displaced or uh, financially not um, sound enough to kind of, uh, or they might find themselves in a totally different situation. So it's much harder on um, those individuals. And so um, I've always been an avid sort of uh, volunteer and volunteering uh, for me uh, also keeps me sort of grounded and sane and sort of, um, and by the same token, I'm, I'm also kind of giving back at the same time, right? So. So you've been able to do that for most of the pandemic, I imagine not. Yeah, that. well, it's 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 kind of weird because uh, Young Street Mission, and it's a Christian-based uh, mission. Uh, I'm not religious by any means. I just do it for the sake of just uh, giving back. But uh, they're the only mission that's actually, I think is only open in the city. Because I know Scott Mission is actually at church, sorry, at the... Uh, college and uh, Spadina, um, they're actually closed. Um, but at the Young Street Mission, uh, they, there's still guidelines. Uh, they test you when you walk in. Uh, they ask if you've been traveling. Um, you can't volunteer. If you're volunteering at uh, the donation center, um, at Young Street Mission's uh, donation center, then you can't volunteer at Young Street Mission's um, like food bank. And if you volunteer at the food bank, you can't go to the evergreen on uh, Spadina, you know what I mean? So like they kind of, uh, you're kind of all in. And if you're at the food bank, you're only at the food bank. So it's a way of kind of not cross contaminating. So uh, they take it very serious there, but uh, they're one of uh, the very few missions that are, I think, uh, left open in the city. Uh, they're very much a, an essential sort of service, uh, especially for that community in uh, Regent Park in Cabbage Town. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, when I'm there, I'm basically doing the food bank thing, uh, help coordinate things for uh, everyone over there and uh, just keep in touch with the community. I mean, a lot of those uh, individuals are, um, during the pandemic, like, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, before the pandemic, uh, mental illness is uh, kind of, uh, uh, it's always been a thing. Right, um, especially if you have a, a mental illness or uh, and you tie that with sometimes like addiction and, and things of that nature. And so um, that's now being kind of amplified more so um, because maybe resources, uh, there's a workaround with regards to booking appointments or there's a workaround uh, with regards to getting, uh, how you're getting your food and the way that you're approached and, and things of that nature. And so I think that's kind of, uh, shaking the pot up a bit and kind of agitated a bit. I mean, like everyone's kind of rolling with the punches because that's all we can really do. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, being in the pandemic, um, as much as it does give me uh, some sort of normalcy, because I've always done it even before the pandemic, um, I just want to sort of help out others uh, that are less fortunate um, that are in the pandemic. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I think everyone, uh, and I gave a shout out to, uh, uh, what's it called, Canada Got Soul for doing their kind of charity work. And, um, but I encourage everyone, I mean, um, it's even if you have extra pairs of shoes or um, doing charitable work isn't an, uh, an annual thing. It's not a weekly thing. It's not a Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas thing. It's a, it's a, 
uh, you're walking past somebody, um, whatever you have, like uh, a lunch that you don't want to eat or like whatever the case is, just like, I'm a strong believer in like looking after others. Do you know what I mean? Regardless if you know them or not, um, not to offend them. Do you know what I mean? Like if you know that there's someone that I see people that are regular on my street and I live on Young Street that I know that are straight up, like they're, they have no place to stay. Um, I'll make them food and I'll leave it in the bus shelter. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give them a pair of socks. Cause I bought, I bought a six pack or whatever the case is. Right. So, I mean, um, little things like that, uh, matter, you know what I mean? Like don't walk past someone and kind of, I know that they're there and they want to be acknowledged as human beings as well. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, but the, yeah, it's a, uh, uh, volunteering is something that I do to sort of, uh, keep me kind of normal. <laughs> I'm glad you could share that and, you know, remind people and, and, uh, shed some light on that. Um, last thing I want to talk about, this is sneaker dads, but obviously you're an uncle, your name, your name says it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I know it's been tough during the pandemic and, uh, Want to know, are you the uh, sneaker supplier to your niece and nephew or what's Yeah, up? so I'm grateful to have a, a beautiful niece and nephew. So shout out to Avery and Cameron. Uh, it's Cameron's birthday next week. Um, and uh, when it comes to sneakers, uh, they whenever they would have like, uh, they would draw me pictures. They would be like, oh, this is Uncle Sean's shoe. Like, and they would draw me like shoes because uh, they know that I have a, a passion for shoes. Um, but yeah, I remember when they were first born, uh, when Avery was first born, I was at a footlocker. Uh, and then my, my sister-in-law was like, where are you? Where are you? Like, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm at, I'm at footlocker. I think, or I forget, I think it was at Morpro. I was, I was somewhere. I was at, I was, I was definitely at a footlocker. I was like, oh yeah, I'm buying Avery shoes. Uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, my niece and nephew go to school. Um, I always wanted to sort of give them what me and my brother never necessarily had or like what we had to like hustle to get. Um, and so um, they, they may not know the shoes that I'm getting them or, and, and they may not appreciate it, but you know what, going back to the topic of this sort of podcast, like I want them to wear it. Right. Uh, I bought my, uh, my nephew um, uh, uh, Air Max 90 infrareds for Christmas. He liked it because of the color. Uh, he likes red and, and things of that nature. So it's somewhat of an off red there. Um, but uh, he never knew Uncle Sean has five pairs of those saran wrap. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, but he would see sometimes and but it, it, it's funny because my, my niece and nephew know that uh, my brothers and the way that I am with shoes, uh, my brother's with vinyl. And so they don't know why daddy has thousands of records. Do you know what I mean? Um, so um, but they know that daddy may have thousands of records and uncle Sean's has like hundreds of shoes. Do you know what I mean? I scaled back a lot, but I mean, uh, for the most part, uh, I am their supplier of, uh, shoes. Uh, I try to tell them, and this is kind of my brother, cause he's a big, like Adidas fan. I'm not, um, obviously. So, um, whenever you do see them wear Nike, you know that where it's coming from. And I try to tell them, uh, like what to wear and how to wear it. But uh, uh, big shout out to uh, the Nike employee store as well. Uh, Cause uh, I would have buy a lot of my uh, uh, kids stuff from there. 
I, I try not to spoil them, but it's, it's kind of hard not to spoil them. Uh, but at the same time, because uh, I know they grow out of the, the clothes quick, but uh, kids' clothes is relatively affordable. So. Yeah, it's nice to it's nice to find things for half the price of what they would be for uh, for you or I, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. My uh, found a couple a good deal on some Sauconies, and yeah. I, I thought my brother would like uh, my son would like them because they were easy to get on. They had like a big Velcro strap. You know, he's running out of the house. He doesn't want to tie up his shoes. And uh, I looked at kind of this little stash he has of shoes that are kind of his size are going to be his next half size because you know not going to school and being at home he's wearing a lot less wearing through his shoes a lot less right and right he has, he has a couple nice pairs of nikes and uh and i showed him these sock and he's, i knew what would happen grab them the Nikes got throw, they tossed to the side. The nice shoes I spent good money on a pair of Jordans. Jordan yeah. sixes, they're never going to get worn. So uh, the good news is uh, um, someone else is going to get those. I'm, I'm going to give those to a niece or nephew or donate them. Yeah. And my son's going to be happy with his first pair of Sockenies. So I'm sure your niece and nephew uh, won't ever see a Saucony, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because like it's almost like a, a giving a kid a new toy right or like giving um yeah giving your uh giving your uh your kid a new toy or your uh your even your dog when i come like my dog may love a lot of his toys and i may just give him a brand new toy and like he totally forgets about the toy that he loved like for the past like how many years right and so um but yeah no it's good to kind of give those kind of uh uh give that kind of exposure. Do you know what I mean? Cause I didn't always had Nike as much as I love Nike. Like I remember, um, I had to get a, a good, I remember, and this is the only, I grew up in special education, but I remember this is the only time I'm ever going to give education super credit in gym class. Um, we were not allowed to have black marking soles and byway shoes were black marking soles. So my parents were kind of forced, to get me shoes that were of a higher quality. Um, but uh, I remember that in gym class. Uh, Cause I remember everyone in gym class used to try to mark up the gym floor. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so like, um, but I remember you couldn't have, I guess, I don't know, I guess the caretakers or janitors didn't always like trying to rub it off. Um, but we will always try to mark up the, the basketball or the, the hardwood. Um, and then they told us it was mandatory for us to sort of uh, have non-marking sold. But yeah, I, I try to give uh, my niece and nephew um, um, I, I as much as, well, I think I've, I, yeah, I think I've only given them Nike stuff, but it's, it's always good to kind of expose your, 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 your kids to different sort of brands. So they understand like variety and diversity is important as well. Right. Yeah, you know, you, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember having shoes from Byway and the school I grew up, the neighborhood I grew up, there was a lot of kids, let's say, that had shoes from Byway yeah. uh, or similar stores and a lot of people, kids who didn't have a lot of money. And um, I remember a lot of barefoot or socks at gym and I wonder if that was why, because they weren't letting us mark it up. But I, the reason I wanted to to tell that, that, that story about my son is because we had a quick discussion 
about brands and what he sees at school and his school is actually quite near to that same neighborhood where I grew up funny enough and um we we talked about uh you know what you know he looked at them and he said he said yeah you know dad I see a lot of kids at school that have brands and I don't know what brand they are and I said yeah well that typically those shoes would cost a little less or a lot less and you know I said he's only eight years old but I want him to know that you know you don't have to you don't have to be ashamed of what you have but you should understand that th some things cost money and some people don't have don't have money to buy to spend on expensive Jordans or or anything even if I'm buying them at the outlet and they're not that expensive some people don't have have the money to buy a discounted pair of Saucony's, right? And uh, so, so it was it was productive in the sense that not only did he get a pair of Saucony's that are easy to put on, and and you know maybe hopefully he'll realize that you know going to school, unlike you know we grew up, and I'm sure when he's a little bit older, it'll be about wearing wearing something cool and you know, you know being being fresh or whatever, you know at at eight. It, it should be probably a little bit more about comfort and and practicality and, and not trying to show up your grade three classmate because uh, we definitely we definitely aren't trying to teach him that value but it, it was a, it was a useful discussion and the, the connections of you know what you taught you talked about going going back to you know not only your experience but neighborhoods and, and, and places you grew up very similar to me. I, I think, you know, we're only yeah. a couple of years apart, but, uh, but as we've discovered over our years of chatting, we, uh, we definitely share a lot. So, uh, so uh, I'm glad I had you on. I know I, I took you into super overtime, but uh, oh, I, no think our, I think our, our listeners will appreciate it. And uh, maybe one day we'll do, uh, we'll do that hip hop version of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're a wealth of knowledge, obviously, both in in terms of sneakers and the community and and uh, and hip hop and all that. So it was it was, uh, it was great to have you on. Thanks for being a part of Sneaker Dads and wear everything. A lot of fun. Like I said, I really enjoy chatting with you online, but hopefully we'll be doing it in person very soon. Very soon, hopefully. And thanks for having me, John. It's been a pleasure and it's also been an honor. Uh, and I encourage everyone to listen to uh, wear everything and Sneaker Dads. It's very you know, I was listening to uh, Bobito's, uh, and he was kind of uh, not poking funny. He was like, "Oh, that's a really funny name for a podcast," and it is. It's it's really interesting because that generation now we're having kids, right? And so I mean, like, what are they doing now to kind of shape the new culture? And so I, I think it's very intriguing. I think it's very important. And uh, uh, hearing stories of, of how you're kind of uh, teaching your kids of. Uh, uh, the importance of uh, brands and, and marketing and and uh, it's a life lesson and I think it's great that you're uh, having this podcast and I just want to thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the time. It's great to chat with you. Great to dig dig super deep. And last thing I'll leave because we brought up Abito not to extend this episode even further. Yeah. But, um, you mentioned him when he was talking about his son. Yeah. Um, wearing wanting to wear his next four pairs that were a size too big right um i played that for my son and he had a huge smile on his face because uh of course he does the same thing and of course i'm that guy with the stack of 
shoes that are too big for his kids and uh but yeah. uh, but uh, uh I know you're you're probably the same and uh that's why we have uh we have uncles on too so thanks Sean exactly all right man thanks so much for having me man thanks again to Sean for being on the podcast this week you can find him at u n k l e s e a n s n k r s on Instagram you can find me at John Ratner on Twitter heads ain't ready on Instagram Sneaker Dads is on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to check out the website at sneakerdads.com. We'll be dropping some gear very soon, so keep an eye on Instagram for that, because there won't be a lot of it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another Sneaker Dad next week. Later.